No one's ever really gone because it's only episode eight. That's right. On today's show, we're digging deeper into The Last Jedi. What's up, Story Geeks? I'm Daryl Smith, and I am the oldest geek in the room. Joining me on today's show is David from the Tatooine Sons podcast and my co-host, Jay Shear, author of the time travel novel Time Slingers. This is the first episode in our brand new Star Wars series. Now, two quick updates before we get started. If you're watching The Mandalorian on Disney+, Plus, join us for our new weekly podcast, Digging Deeper Into The Mandalorian. That show will be available on our second channel, The Story Geeks Talk Disney+. Plus. And if you want to vote on upcoming show topics or receive our discussion questions prior to every podcast, consider becoming a member of The Story Geeks Club. For more information on The Mandalorian Show and The Story Geeks Club, visit thestorygeeks.com. Thanks for listening. The Story Geeks podcast is produced by the Reclamation Society. Now let's dig deeper into The Last Jedi. You guys have had quite an exciting last couple of weeks, huh, David? Boy, it's been awesome. Yeah, yeah. we were like uh, pretty pretty pumped. You know, when, when uh, Matt M- Martin messaged us about a month and a half ago and said that it would be a really good idea to pick up that issue of the comic, uh, we kept trying to get him to actually say that it was going to happen in there <laughs> so we didn't go and just like be you know crazy um and so then a week before that issue came out we it, when star wars announced uh star wars.com announced it it was just like we were freaking out it was pretty awesome that's so, super cool yeah yeah, yeah so clarify guys. this because not everybody knows about this but tell everybody what you're talking about here yeah so um you know like i don't know a half a minute after The Last Jedi came out, I think. Um, we were <laughs> uh, like two weeks into starting a podcast. We got invited to go um, to the IMAX headquarters in Hollywood. We were living in California at the time, and we got to view uh, The Last Jedi at the headquarters with about 150 other fans. And Ryan Johnson showed up for a, a Q&A afterwards. And uh, we had, you know, people were asking crazy questions. My 12-year-old kid had a question in his head. Um, BB Nate and he got all excited and he finally got the chance to ask it and uh, his big question was what was the name of the Porg on the Millennium Falcon and uh, you see on the on the recording when you on the Collider video uh, Ryan kind of gets this look on his face like uh, wow I had never even thought about that question before <laughs> um, and uh, and and Stephen Weintraub from Collider is like trying to, to run interference from him it's actually kind of fun and then um, uh, Ryan points at BB Nate and says, I don't know, what do you think his name is? And uh, I'm looking over at my kid thinking, yeah, now now what you going to do um, about <laughs> this? Um, I had no idea that he and his brother Sam had spent the night before planning this out in their heads. And uh, we have a dog named Buster. And uh, they thought, well, let's uh, – what would his name be pronounced backwards? And that didn't work. And so they just flipped the syllables. And so Buster became Turbis. And all of that happened the night before. So my kid was ready. And BB Nate just looks right at Ryan and says, I don't know, maybe Turbis. And the next <laughs> thing you know, uh, uh, Ryan points at the camera and tells Pablo Hidalgo with a little crack in his voice uh, that that porg's name is now uh, Turbis. It's a good Star Wars name. And so we've just been having fun with it for a couple of years, <laughs> uh, you know, hashtagging it and teasing uh, Ryan about it and teasing Pablo until he blocked us like everybody else about. <laughs> a month ago. Um, uh, 
Um, I think he muted us a long time before he blocked us, honestly. Um, but uh, Matt Martin, uh, we had seen him at San Diego Comic-Con, and he had invited us out to Lucasfilm to view and uh, to tour. And so we've been teasing people about it, never really thinking it was going to happen until uh, suddenly about, uh, I guess it was August, Matt messaged me and said that uh, he had submitted the name uh, to an author, and we would just have to wait and see what happens. And, and sort of the rest is history. Pretty awesome. Yeah, that's pretty. It sweet. was yeah. awesome. Yeah, I think. This so the last good. Jedi's got a special place in our hearts. We started our yes. podcast two weeks before <laughs> the movie, and we named a character in it. So it's appropriate that we're talking about that on this show. So. Absolutely, yeah. definitely. So you can say now that you have three kids, I guess, right? Like. <laughs> well, my wife has been saying that for <laughs> for years. Um, but, um, yeah, That's a different I guess. Thing. I guess so. We, we're, you know, I, I did not. Here's the here's a true confessions moment. Um, one of my favorite moments in the build up to the Last Jedi was when they released the tra- the TV spot where Chewie, they show Chewie knocking that stupid Porg off the dash of the Millennium Falcon. And I cheered because I thought those Porgs were the most silly creatures on the planet. And now I'm like, <laughs> a, now I'll, 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 you know, our show and, and, and myself I'll, I'll, will be associated with that stupid Porg forever. So it's kind of cool. So. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, there's worse things to be associated with. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Especially in Star Wars fandom yeah. these days. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, just being associated with Star Wars fandom is bad enough. Uh, exactly. So, yeah. you know. exactly. Exactly. That's actually a good segue into my first question oh, about there The we Last go. Jedi. Let's do it. Because um, obviously when it came out, it was very divisive. Mm. Um, you know, and that level of divisiveness was like off the charts because Ryan Johnson made so many subversive choices in telling this story. You know, he killed Snoke. Luke tossed the lightsaber over his shoulder. Leia went all Mary Poppins with the Force. and <laughs> There was all kinds of stuff. So I'm just curious of this stuff, and David, we'll start with you on this. Okay. What, su- what of these surprises did you like? What did you dislike? Okay, so I remember sitting in the theater on, on the night that it came out, and um, very different experience from The Force Awakens. I was completely spoiled uh, going into The Force Awakens. I knew the entire plot line, um, and so The Last Jedi had been really protective of that. And so um, there had been all this Raylo stuff that even before The Last Jedi and all these different things that were going on. And I kept seeing – it felt like for the first half of the movie, for me, Ryan was playing into all of the fan theories um, for, as to what was happening in the film. And then he turned it all upside down in that throne room uh, when they don't come together when Ray and, and Kylo oh, Ren don't yeah. come together. And I was thrilled at that moment um, because I thought, you know, what a, what a fun thing to do as a writer and director is I felt like he had his finger completely on the pulse of Star Wars fandom and he was playing with us intentionally in order to turn everything upside down. And I was thrilled with it um, as they move forward. This has um, become my favorite Star Wars movie completely separate from the reason that there's a porg in it. But um, this is, I mean, I love this film as an original trilogy kid growing up playing with the 3.75 inch uh, action figures in my backyard and, and all of that. Um, this, this has become my favorite movie because of how subversive and um, how it turned everything upside down. Yeah. I'm, I'm just about right there with you. I think I would still put Force Awakens slightly above it, but these two are my favorite of the Star Wars canon. That's awesome. Um, but I'll, I'll dive in with, with what I think of this too, but Jay, why don't you go first? 
Yeah, so I'll just go through the through some of the lists of the surprises and one by <laughs> one and just hit like just punch them out. Um, Settle in. Yeah, Luke's character definitely works for me. So that's a surprise. He throws the lightsaber over, but throughout the entire film, his 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 character is basically a surprise, right? Yeah. Um, I think if you pose the question, what would cause Luke to bail on the universe? You have to make a compelling case, and I think that they did enough enough for me to go along with it. So. Um, and the fact that he turns around at the end of the film and uh, has this sort of redemptive aspect to it is phenomenal. So I, I dig that. Um, I'm stoked that we got to see Leia use the Force. We've been waiting for years to see Leia use the Force. I don't think it was the best special effect in the film, <laughs> but it was great to see her use it. Uh, I liked Poe needing to learn what true leadership looks like. Um, in, the, in my last watch... You know, in the beginning of the film, his actions lead to character deaths, resource constraints. Yeah. I mean, like, he puts them in a bad place. Um, they're in a bad place already. Um, but then on Crate, they, he gets the full arc because he calls off the attack, um, which I thought was really cool. So, that, you know, I like that, the fact that um, that, that happened. I'm undecided. So th those are all my positives. I have one that I'm undecided on, and I have one negative. I'm undecided on Snoke. I'm undecided on Snoke because I can't make that call until after The Rise of Skywalker yeah. comes out. Mm -hmm. um, Kylo does not seem strong enough to me yet. Uh, he, he has never felt like a bad enough bad guy. He's a great character. Don't get me wrong. I love his character. But Snoke was the guy who like threw Hux around remotely. You know what I mean? Like yeah. this dude was 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 built up to be. Uh, Ray tries to pull the saber. We know Ray is super strong in the Force, and he hasn't come back and hit her in the head. Like this this guy was set up in such a way that um, it was really interesting to see him be the Sith Lord to. And I know I know he's not necessarily a Sith Lord, but the the uh, having Kylo as his apprentice and being the master and apprentice was interesting to me. Yeah. But I love the fact that we're getting Palpatine. So like, and I don't know in what context we're getting Palpatine. So I, I have to say with Snoke, I'm like, I'll wait until we figure out what happens with the last or the, the Rise of Skywalker before I, I make a call on that. Um, and then the last one, the only thing I did not like in in my rewatch of the film this week. Which I really enjoyed. Actually, I rewatched The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi this week, and I really enjoyed The Last Jedi. Um, I do not really enjoy the Finn storyline at all in The Last Jedi. <laughs> um, yeah, is that really subversive though, or is it just a well? Bad I think, no, I think it's it was subversive to me because I loved him in TFA, and I felt like this is what it felt like to me. Ray and Finn are developing a connection that's really important to yeah. the galaxy, right? Um, this 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 guy who was stolen from his family and forced to be a stormtrooper who wants to run and needs to learn courage and this um, and this young woman who is like the force is awakening in her and yet she's so tied back to this this place and where she came from and this is a really compelling uh, putting those two characters together is really compelling to me but I felt like the only criticism I have of the last Jedi. And the, the reason why you guys probably love it way more than I do, and I and I, li I really like it. So don't get me wrong. Like mm -hmm. I always say this on our podcast, and everyone <laughs> tells me I hate it. Oh, he hates it. Jay no. takes a lot of flack for his. <laughs> oh, you're black the one that's supposed to movies. play the guy that hates <laughs> yeah. it. And, and, you I know. know. You know. <laughs> I know. 
Um, but my, my only complaint about that movie is that it felt like they they were at the end of the at the end of like writing the the um, the Ray storyline, which is super powerful and really interesting to me, um, and the Luke storyline as well. I love both those storylines. It felt like they were like, oh, what are we supposed to do with Finn? <laughs> and then it, it just feels like there's there's that I don't feel like he has a lo- enough reasons to do what he's doing. I think they make that side story, that subplot, overly complex a little bit. And that was the only thing is like I expected it to be him to be a little bit more integral to what was going on. Mm-hmm. And he so that was what was subversive to me. It was kind of okay. surprising because I was expecting something different. Sure. Now, I I will say this. I will say um, everything Ray, um, Kylo Ren, Snoke, it felt like that was leading to the direction the fans were predicting all the way through the throne room. The one Mm. part that was always upside down from the very beginning was Luke. Um, Mm. And I agree with that. Now, here's where I think that the for me, the only major blunder in the way that they portrayed Luke was in the way he threw that lightsaber over his shoulder. It was too flippant. Mm. Um, It seemed like it didn't matter to him. Um, Ryan is a genius. I mean, they've even to the last week, people have been pulling out stuff from return of the Jedi and the last Jedi, and they've been putting them together side by side scenes. And he's been confirming that he was mimicking those scenes for return of the Jedi. I mean, he's brilliant when it comes to this stuff, he missed an opportunity. Um, And I actually have heard him be asked about this, and he said that he thought about it, but he didn't want it to do to do that at the beginning. I think he should have thrown down the saber at the very beginning of the movie in the mm. exact same motion and manner that he did in Return of the Jedi. Mm. Um, then it wouldn't have felt like he was just flipping it over, over his shoulder like he didn't care. It would have been like, get this thing away from me. I don't want this anymore. And I think that was a mistake. And I think it actually took a lot of fans out of the movie at the very beginning and, and messed that up. So that's a big cons- That's the only criticism I have. Or That's at least actually, he could have ignited it before he threw it over his shoulders <laughs> so he could hear it go. <laughs> yeah. Well, then he might have hit Turbis, and that would have yeah. been bad. That would have been, oh, yeah, that would have been, been, been tragic. Yeah. Um, I actually <laughs> love that change because which I think what you've said, which is really powerful, is that it's not that Luke doesn't care. Because that's what it feels like. It feels like mm-hmm. he doesn't care when he throws the saber. He cares so much that he wants to actively reject it. Right. Um, so I like I liked that. Uh, I like that change. That's a good change. Yeah. I think so. You've, you guys have already talked about most of them. I'll just say one specific thing. Um, I love them all. Uh, I don't like Canabite either. The whole Finn storyline, hmm. but I, I can see how you see that as subversive. I don't. It didn't don't strike me that way. But yeah, yeah, yeah. but the thing that what specifically I'm going to say is the throne room, and specifically the death of Snoke, and then the scene where we quote unquote discover that Ray is from nothing. That her parents don't mm. matter. Um, now I don't believe that's true, (laughs) but, uh, I loved both of those things because yes, they were definitely subversive and they definitely sort of in a way killed the momentum on two of the biggest mysteries from the force awakens. Mm. But when I watched those, I wasn't like, oh, well, I guess that's over. Screw that. (laughs) I was like, I mean, if this was like a Brett Ratner film or something, that's probably how I would have been. I would be like, oh, well, they don't know what they're going to do. So, but I trust these writers and I trust these filmmakers. So I'm like, oh, there's something even bigger coming. Like Ooh. there's something even better. So I got excited about it. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, I would I would argue that rewatching this, um, I think The Force Awakens has some of the most emotionally relevant moments. Like just we're home, the we're home moment, the 
the garbage will do. Like those moments are amazing. <laughs> but as far as like like bringing Star Wars into a new, um, I don't want to say new era per se, but like a, like introducing uh, visually compelling, really fascinating things. The throne room scene is phenomenal. One of my favorite moments in that whole scene is when Kylo says, please, when he's like, he's like, join me, please. Mm. <laughs> Just that <laughs> right, one yeah. tiny little please, that chink in the armor is so good. That's cool. Awesome. Um, so, okay, we've talked a lot about the surprising nature of this film. How does this film deconstruct the notion of a typical Star Wars film? And I believe this was a question from one of our fans on Twitter, right? It was. Shout out to Miles James uh, Tapati on yeah. Twitter for that for this question. So you discovered that question. You've been thinking about it a lot. Why don't you go, <laughs> why why don't don't you go ahead and in? answer it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's interesting because I do think it's subversive. I do think that it's... Uh, he's doing a lot. He's he's being really surprising, like the previous question stated. Um, I think that A New Hope and Return of the Jedi are the two films when people say typical Star Wars film that you're generally thinking about. But I think that Empire is the opposite. Empire Strikes Back is the opposite of a, tradi- a traditional Star Wars film. And I think that The Last Jedi just fits right into that category. Mm-hmm. Like, it... it um, what do we expect in a typical Star Wars film? We expect obvious good and evil, right? Like, if you read read a Star Wars crawl, because they are the most biased pieces of like <laughs> information. Like, it'll tell it'll just tell you straight up like these guys are evil. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like there's no <laughs> the there's evil no empire. Yeah. Exactly. It's like <laughs> there's no there's no gray there. You know, um, I think we expect redemption, and I think that we would expect the film to be about family. Um, what I like about The Last Jedi, and I think the same is true of Empire, is that there's more gray thrown in. It's not as it's not as blatant as the crawls are. So Luke is a hermit, just like Yoda was a hermit in Empire. The good guys are on the brink of disaster, and it only gets worse by the end of the film. The hero learns that the path ahead is way harder than they initially anticipated. Like. I, so I would say Empire is my favorite Star Wars film of all time. I know that's not unique. I know a lot of people say that. But one of the reasons why is because of how subversive to what you would expect to have happen it is. It's super subversive. So I think that it's not so much that it's um, it's not so much that it's not a typical Star Wars film. It's that it fits the Empire profile as a second movie in a trilogy. And, and we expect Star Wars to be about the three movies. You know how it doesn't fit, though? Mm. It doesn't end with any kind of cliffhanger or unresolved tension. The, like, the last shot, I mean? Yeah. Well, I don't oh, know. Oh, it absolutely. Yeah, no, no, no. It absolutely does. You've got your resistance that's based. You've got like 15 people on, on the Millennium Falcon, and there's no future. And you, it's very well, similar to the end of, of Empire when it comes to that. The only thing we don't have is the Han and Carbonite moment. Um, yeah, I mean, part. that's what I mean. Like, there's. You definitely. You know, there's more story to come, but there's nothing as specific as, as Luke lost his hand and Han is in Carbonite or. <laughs> All of the Jedi just got killed and, you know, like those kinds of yeah. things. Well, I would say that the big question at the end of Empire Strikes Back, obviously, is, is Darth Vader really Luke's father? And I think mm. the big question mm. at the end of The Last Jedi is, is Rey really nobody? Yeah. And so you have that same, and it's been what's been debated for two years. Um, could it be, is, was, you know, it was 
originally is Darth Vader lying? Now it's been is Kylo Ren lying? Um, all of this, and so there's some there's some parallels. I think the problem that Ryan has, honestly, guys, is that Ryan loves the original trilogy so much that he sees things in it that we didn't see, and he's taking it down a path. He wanted this to be Empire on steroids, and I think he went <laughs> too far at times, mm. so much so that it alienated so many people because I. I my, I make the argument that Empire Strikes Back, you've got the, the bad guys win. Um, you wonder if Obi-Wan's been lying the whole time. Um, you've got Luke or Han with Leia now instead of Luke with Leia. You've got all of these things. I can imagine, um, you know, and, and we and it's been joked about, the, the, edit, the letters to the editor in Starlog magazine about what a disaster <laughs> this movie is. Um, that, you know, the only difference is they didn't have Twitter. Um, you know, in 1980, right. and so <laughs> um, I think the, the 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 Empire and Star Wars. I think you're right when you say that they're very similar in nature. Um, what we have to remember is that this is the second act of a thir- of a three act um, play. Um, it's the it's the middle piece in the concerto or the sonata. It's <laughs> it's that type of thing, and and we cannot really unter- understand the Last Jedi until December when we see the rise of Skywalker. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, okay, I'm going to take us in a slightly different direction here. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about Luke and Rey and Kylo, obviously. But before we do that, I want to spend a little bit of time on one of my favorite characters, which is actually Hux. You like, um, the, you like the one person. There's like maybe one person in the audience who's like, yeah, Hux. I love Hux. <laughs> I'm so intrigued by Hux. Um, and I really like Donald Gleason. I think he's a really interesting he's actor. He's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so Snoke says of Hux to Kylo, he says, You wonder why I keep a rabid cur in such a place of power. A cur's weakness, properly manipulated, can be a sharp tool. So, so far, Hux is anything but sharp in these <laughs> films. Um, but I'm wondering if there's some foreshadowing there. So what do you guys think of that line? What do you think it says about Hux's journey thus far and where he might be headed? David, what do you think? Well, I, I mean... You, you see in the Force Awakens in the opening se- uh, some of the opening uh, uh, conflict really between Kylo Ren and and Hux that there's there's a reason for Hux to be around. He really is the he's much more of a leader to me in the Force Awakens than he is in the Last Jedi. He's getting kicked around pretty much from the yeah. opening all the way through the movie in the Last Jedi. Um, but his strength is in this whole stormtrooper thing. You know, his father um, um, was the one that came up with this idea, or was the, was tasked with uh, bringing in and raising these first order stormtroopers, and and you know, c- capturing these children and all this stuff that's going on. And 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 now Hux is taking on um, that that mantle. I think um, that Hux. The whole second act of this story, the last, this last Jedi element, really is designed to try to force him into conflict with, uh, like all-out war conflict, like almost. I predict a coup to some extent, mm-hmm. led by Hux, um, because I think that he, that Hux is going to get to the point where, like this Kylo Ren dude and these Knights of Ren and all this mess, they've gotten so over the top that. I mean, he's going to actually rebel against um, uh, the Knights of Ren and Kylo Ren. And I think that they were setting that up in these first two movies. Yeah. What do you think, Jay? 
I actually really like that theory. Um, we haven't seen him at all in the trailer. Uh, I think that I get the impression that we're going to see a very strong first order in this upcoming film um, because they have nothing but upside right now. <laughs> like there's not a lot of downside. There's not a lot of yeah. resistance going against them. Um, but I do, I do agree that if you were to just take the trailer at face value, like it does feel like Kylo's a little bit uh, isolated from all of that uh, that's going on. So I like that theory a lot. Um I wonder how that interacts with Palpatine. I wonder how it fits into this larger world of where Hux is going to be. But honestly, like because he's not referenced and because he is so uh, not sharp, because <laughs> he's so dull, I really don't know where they're going to take him. So I think David's, David's theory is as good as any right there. I think what intrigues me about it is I think at some point Hux is going to snap. Because, like like you said, David, in The Force Awakens, he's a much more commanding presence. And there's that scene where he is out in that giant plaza oh, yeah. speaking to all the stormtroopers. And he's genuinely a little bit terrifying in that scene. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's yeah, he very is. intimidating. So I think that's in him. And I I really hope to see in The Last Jedi some version of him just having too much and snapping mm. and almost going like full-blown rabid serial killer and trying to like take out Kylo or whatever it may be. I just, yeah. some yeah, sort I of But I see him rage. differently than, just a little differently than that. I see him as being actually, um, I think that everything that happens in The Last Jedi is is designed to be knocking Hux off balance and get him actually out of character. And what we saw... We, especially in these most in-command moments in The Force Awakens, is who Hux really is. Um, and so what we get to see in this next one is a guy that's actually in control. Now, you know, he's the one that's trained and led these stormtroopers. Um, and I think there's just, I, I predict a stormtrooper first order rebellion against Sith troopers. I think that's a, a there's a practical reason why the Sith troopers are in red. I want to see a you know, massive battle of white stormtroopers versus red Sith troopers and somehow the resistance being a part of it. I don't know if I'll see that, but I have a feeling that we're going to see the culmination of the Hux versus Kylo Ren moment in, in The Rise of Skywalker. Yes. That'd be awesome. That would be really cool. I, I like that. I like that uh, that approach. I think it's interesting because we really haven't seen in this sequel trilogy we haven't really seen any officers that are like threatening. And, and even if you look into the Star Wars canon or even legends, I, the only two intimidating officers that come to mind, and I know that there are some in the books, some of the books that I haven't read, but are Tarkin and mm -hmm. Thrawn. Like those are the only two I can think of that are like, right. oh yeah, they're really going to do something. Everybody else is kind of a bumbling idiot that just serves as a you know fodder for something to choke, <laughs> something to choke. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I think it'd be it would be good to reverse that with Hux and turn him into more of a Tarkin. It'd be interesting. Yeah, that'd be cool. Um, okay. Every time we do a Star Wars podcast, we end up talking about balance. <laughs> <laughs> so here because we go. <laughs> Star Wars is so out of balance. So it's just <laughs> yeah. natural, right? That's right. Uh, Luke tells Ray that for some time there was balance. So here we go with the big old question. 
Um, David, I'm gonna let you go first on this one because oh, I know Jay has a, I know Jay has a whole lecture prepared about uh, this. So. Nice. Yeah, I, I can't so. wait to hear it. This is this is a, interesting. A few weeks ago, I guess it was about a month ago, we did a whole episode on what is the force. Um, I think it was right after the. Um, Freddie Prinze Jr. Uh, meltdown. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> and so we were, we were talking about it. And in the middle of the conversation, we're kind of similar to this. It's a very free-flowing conversation on our show. Um, we, you know, uh, we have no idea where things are going to go. And then suddenly we were talking about it, and it hit me that when Qui-Gon Jinn uh, starts talking about the Chosen One prophecy, the Chosen One who will bring balance to the Force and all this other stuff, at this point there haven't been any Sith uh, according to the Jedi, there's no idea that the Sith are still in existence. They haven't met Darth Maul. And I'm like, why are they talking and why are, why do these prophecies exist about the Force being out of balance if the balance of the Force is like the elimination of the Sith or, um, you know, equal sides on both? I... I this balance of the force thing has, has has messed me up over the last <laughs> month. So um, I just it's don't been think... messing us up for the last three years. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Good. I'm glad I'm not alone. Uh, you know, and then you get Freddie Prince Jr. on his on his meltdown talking about like you know <laughs> if you know if you if if you know what I know it all makes perfect sense. Well, just tell us, dude. Yeah. Um, you know what you know, so we can like end this argument and Twitter can go back to peace for the first time in history. So, Stop yelling. Um, get off your high horse and explain it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, explain it to us here, dude. Yeah, so I'm curious. I, I'm, I'm curious to hear what you guys think. Mm. Go, Jay. Well, I'm friends with George Lucas, and yeah. he explained the force <laughs> to me. <laughs> no, no, I'm teasing. Uh, so, okay, so I've I've been. I should say first, first, go listen to Tatooine Sons and what and what they talked about because I think the more information you can gain on this, the better. I will also say that I like literally as of this week, I think yesterday. Um, or maybe Tuesday night, Blast Points, another favorite podcast of mine, has been talking about the Force. They cover it really well, cover a lot of balance in that too. And they quote George Lucas a bunch in that podcast. And I think that the the reason balance is weird in Star Wars is because it's weird when you describe in your crawl, your crawl is black and white, and it says these people are evil, these people are good. It's weird then to say, but we kind of want a balance of evil and good people in the world. Like, um, it doesn't make any sense, and it's and it really feels like that. Uh, what George's intention was is that the force is in balance when the force can balance itself, and the Sith aren't manipulating it and demanding that it change and it change the future. So that's kind of where I land. And I also land um, more on the side of saying that the light side and the dark side are actually more religious perspectives as opposed to being inherent in the force itself. The force is the force. If you uh, are light side, you invest in the force in certain ways. If you are dark side, you invest in the force in very different ways. Um, And that's kind of how I interpret that. I think that there will be some people out there, and this is—I um, love calling it the Freddie Prince meltdown. <laughs> That's, that makes me really happy. Uh, thanks for giving us that terminology, David. Um, I think that if you read it the way he was talking about it, you could make an argument that when Luke says that there was a time of balance, you could argue that Luke and Kylo uh, and the rest of the Academy balanced out Snoke and possibly even Palpatine if Luke knew Palpatine was around. Um, But I I still think that that goes back to like Luke's 
Luke is happy. He's glad that there are two super powered Sith out there, and he's like, "Oh yeah, the, the Force was in balance." Like it doesn't it doesn't really make any sense. It doesn't make any sense intuitively, um, and. I just sort of reject the notion that we need to have equal parts dark and light. And then I also go, that leads me to believe that the force is the force. And if you're going to use it in a dark way or use it in a light way, that is your perspective. But I will say that if you are going to use it in a light side way, you are going to use it in terms of the will of the force happens. Whereas if you're going to use it in a dark side way, your will takes over the force to manipulate it into what you want. Um, so <laughs> that's where I land. It sounds very Qui Gon Jin esque, uh, especially with some of the. I mean, some of the stuff from Master and Apprentice, and I think, I think that that's what some of those those extras, you know, outside the movie um, storylines have been about. Uh, we've got the Bendu in season three of, of mm. Star Wars Rebels. You've got you've got some of this. That, uh, even Maz Kanata in Force Awakens, like you know, she's she's she knows the Force, but she's not a Jedi. I mean, there's all this stuff that's going on. We're gonna find that. That I I think the balance was was screwed up the moment that they that this Jedi Sith division whenever the, however that happened took place that the balance was was off then I just don't know I don't know how we're gonna see the chosen one bring balance to anything in 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 the context of this it's it's gonna be an interesting story to see absolutely so let me throw a little uh, a little uh, fuel to the fire here. <laughs> There's um, not that I disagree because I I just don't have the expertise to answer this question. It just confuses the heck out of me. But um, Snoke says to Kylo at one point that he calls him unbalanced. He oh, says, yeah. "Look at you. The deed split your spirit to the bone. You were unbalanced, bested by a girl who would never held a lightsaber." Mm. So what does that mean if Kylo <laughs> is unbalanced? Right. I mean, because if it's light and dark, wouldn't Snoke want him to be unbalanced? Right. right he doesn't right. want light in him. Right. Well, and I think there's... Okay, so if you actually... I started to... This is... Okay, I, I'm as a writer, when I start to throw out a term, I go, wait a minute. How are we actually defining this term? Because the definition of the term really matters to the explanation that that turns turns out right sure there for example this gets thrown about a lot in star wars circles when you use the term um abuse right a lot of people define abuse in very different ways and so when they talk about it it's like well i think we need to slow down a bit and, un and understand how we're defining that term because you're arguing two different points you're arguing for a term that means one thing and you're arguing for a term that means something different. Mm -hmm. I think that that is the case with balance because balance uh, is, I think I think uh, if, if anybody out there is um, more familiar with Eastern mysticism than me, you can comment on this, but balance mm -hmm. is usually used as more of an internal, everything in your life is balanced. Right. You have found a way to center yourself and you've found serenity. Um, that makes sense in the tr in the way that Snoke is using balance, right? For Kylo specifically, yeah. You're 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 not, and he doesn't want Kylo to be serene. <laughs> he wants him to be overly confident in himself to the point of anger that he can cause other people to fear. Yes, and uh, I think that that's the way he's using the term. But again. You know, we'd have to sit Snoke down and be like, hey, <laughs> define that term for us, bro. Which we can't do. Thanks, Ryan Johnson. <laughs> he can't sit down, actually, as it turns out. <laughs> we could sit half of him down. <laughs> right. 
that. Jeez. <laughs> Sorry. Sam wanted Sam wanted to dress with the uh, like get the gold robe and then one of those black like full on body costumes that you can cover your face and everything and just do the black robe from the bottom down or the green, the gold robe from the bottom down with the black up top for uh, that's for awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So, so. Half okay. A there we go. <laughs> why does luke believe that the jedi need to end what do you think he wants to replace them with and why does he go back on that at the end of the movie hmm. three questions we'll treat them as one question <laughs> <laughs> good because i had a hard time remembering them all so <laughs> um, uh, jay yeah why no i yeah go ahead i i i think that he sees um the jedi as a religious group that's that's failed and so the force is outside of the jedi we we so associate in star wars in our minds we associate the force being in balance with the jedi being in control and i think that goes back to the last question it just doesn't seem to be the way that anything has played out even during the you know the the glory days of the of the republic um they're looking for a chosen one to bring balance to the force when they're in full control, which is what we went, we're talking about on our episode a few weeks ago. Mm. And so I think Luke basically just looks and says, the Jedi are just, are are a mess. It never worked. Um, You know, it, 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 I remember reading um, the novelization they they get, they talk about this briefly in the return of the Sith or or, um, the revenge of the Sith. But, um, in the novelization, it's a, it's much more laid out that Yoda at the end of that is basically saying to Kenobi, we had this all wrong from the beginning and it's our fault that Anakin exists. And he's specifically talking about love and he's talking about attachment and he's talking about compassion. And so I feel like when, if you take that storyline or that, th- that, you know, that idea and bring it into what's happened, um, this idea of this religious cult without attachments and, and all of this stuff, it's been a failure. And so Luke has, you know, he's, He's exiled himself on Octu. He's read these, you know, sacred texts, and he's got the entire story now. And he's figured it out, and he's realizing this just can't continue on. So it's a, it's um, it. I think that's what he's feeling in in the opening, you know, half of the movie. It's it's the 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 confrontation with Yoda. Um, where Yoda you know, helps him realize that there has to be more. There's the con- it's just it's it's an interesting um, uh, it's an interesting line that that I don't think we'll see again. It, like I said with some other things, I don't think we'll fully understand until the rise of Skywalker. Yeah, yeah. I, I um, I'm just gonna pick up on that because I agree with all of it. He he mentions at one point in time he uses the term hubris. And I think what he means by hubris is that he had started to use the force like actually more like the Sith use the force, which is to say he was using the force for his intended outcome. And how did that look in in Kylo's life? Well, it looked like saying, I have the ability to shape Kylo. Um, and and that's his own hubris. I, I He is. Uh, he is starting to play God, so to speak, um, when in reality the Force is, is supposed to be what what um, works on Kylo. Um, I think on top of that, 
uh, that falls directly in alignment, I think, with, with everything that David said. I think that on top of that, we can compare what he's talking about because he's reflecting on the fact that this same thing happened to the Jedi Order when it was at its most powerful. Their hubris, I think, was a little different because they had attained political power and that political power was making them want to retain that political power, which meant that they were trying to get their will on top of the force in terms of retaining that structure, that power structure. And I think basically what Luke is indicating here is that he fell into the same trap. He started to see the force as something to manipulate to have his desired outcome occur. And he's going, is there any hope for us to really ever get this right, especially when we formalize um, instead of listening internally to what the force is prompting us, uh, which is more of, a, again, a, a, probably like a Qui-Gon type of a philosophy, we seem to be doing this wrong, guys. <laughs> so I think that's kind of what he's um, referring to. And I think that that's part of, you know, why he why does he go back on it at the end of the, of the film? Because I think that there's always a moment, and I would say this is very true of our lives, um, now you're going to hear some of my spiritual perspectives. I think this is very true of our lives as we live day-to-day -day lives. It's so easy for us to seek control and for us to want to be the ones that are in charge, have our own hubris, create uh, gods in our own image. Um, and I think that there is this altruism that is giving that up. And I think that by the end of it, he realizes that you don't need an academy, but you can have a Jedi. And that's what Ray starts to look like to him. Mm. Yeah, he's redefining what it means to be a Jedi. It's not mm, about the order and the religion exactly. and the institution. It's about uh, the principles. You know, you you, you talk about a, a, sort of a, a spiritual philosophy on that. You know, coming from a Christian background, uh, personally having worked in churches, having worked with Christian organizations, um, and then be, to some extent become jaded um, mm. by the institutionalism that's within it and the well our way is right and your way is wrong within the same you know basic faith and that type of stuff it, it, all the arguing the bickering about that kind of stuff it's it's caused me to step back and sort of separate myself to some extent from all of that in order to actually have a deeper spiritual um, experience and so that's probably one of the reasons that I love this movie so much is because I kind of see that in in Luke Skywalker mm, yeah absolutely yeah and I feel like, I don't know, you say, why does he go back on it? I kind of think, I don't think he necessarily goes back on it. Mm -hmm. I think he still very firmly believes that what has come before failed. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but like you said, I think he, he sees something new that he hadn't expected in Ray yeah. and realized, okay, just because it failed before doesn't mean it's going to fail going forward. Yeah. And I think Yoda's instruction in that regard is essential to him, right? It's like, yeah. you, you can fail at what you're supposed to do, but that doesn't mean you weren't supposed to do it, <laughs> right? Like, right. Um, and I think that that's, that's, a, that's a big part of it. Well, and Yoda even says something along the lines of failure is vital to the process in some way. What mm. is, it's like that's how we learn or that's and failure makes us who we are. Or, yeah, something like that. You probably have yeah, the greatest The greatest teacher failure is. Yeah. Yes, yeah, 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 yes, yeah. yes. Mm -hmm. uh, cool. Let's uh, talk about, for me, what is probably the most random character <laughs> in this movie. Um, and I, I see, I don't know, this kind of feeds into the whole Cantabite thing and wondering why that needed to be there. And do we have to put Denicio del Toro in everything? <laughs> and, and I'm just, for me personally, I've got strong opinions about DJ. So 
I'll go last. <laughs> but David, why don't you start us off? Um, so DJ gives us sort of a new point of view in the Star Wars world. How do you feel about his perspective and the choices that he makes within the story? See, I'm one of like, I think three people on the entire planet that thinks that the that the movie doesn't work without the Canto Bite scenes and without that whole storyline, Rose and Finn leaving and them going to Canto Bite and coming back. Well, because we I see it playing into that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, scary. Um, anyway, uh, no, I think I think that the whole point of that entire storyline. Well, first of all, you have to you, you have to have that happen for Finn. Um, so that Finn um, can no longer be about himself and, and just his friends. It's about something bigger. And that's what's going on. You know, he's he's abandoned everything he's ever known. And he just wants to run. And so the, all of that has to happen for him to come back and become what he will be in The Rise of Skywalker. I predict that he is a part of leading a Stormtrooper rebellion um, with the, in, the new, uh, in The Rise of Skywalker. And I think you can't have that unless he understands what he learns from DJ. Mm. That there's wrong on both sides and there's good on both sides. And this has been a storyline that has been so put put out in the last few years within this the sequel trilogy this idea of you know there's good the whole Aiden Versio stuff from Battlefront 2 she's this bad guy she's you know she's totally with the empire and and everything and the next thing you know she's now working with the the rebellion or the new republic uh, you see you see these things happening in storylines all throughout even something as simple as in Star Wars Resistance you have a character not, called Griff Halloran who's a former Imperial pilot, and he still has positive thoughts, you know, in the storyline about uh, the Empire. And so there's this idea of it's not as black and white, and that's what DJ's character is all about. He's trying to help, and I don't think they did it as effectively as they could, but that sequence on the, uh, you know, on the starship as it's coming back from Canto Bight, and he's, you know, the holograms up there about the, pe- the person sold weapons to the Empire or the First Order, and then he sold them to the Resistance and, and that type of thing. That's there to say it's not nearly as black and white as you guys have said. And then Rose's character is so that the resistance has a, a voice within that world where they, uh, you know, she's exposed to the reality isn't as she's very black and white. Um, you know, when they get to Canto Bight and she sees the father years and, you know, it's all first order bad, re- resistance good. And she's learning that it's not as as clear as that, which then I think it plays into she's we don't know what her role is. I think that they're intentionally holding it back. Some, you know, the the big rumor is they're pulling they, they've set her aside in this movie. I don't think that's the case. I think that she's going to be a big part of actually. Um, working with Finn for this Stormtrooper Rebellion. And I think that the Canto Bite stuff is going to make a lot more sense uh, when we see the final act. Mm. Yeah, that's all good stuff. Um, I do th- I do think that this question kind of is a, is a throwback to that question about deconstructing Star Wars, right? About like <laughs> typical, what is typical Star Wars? I, for all of the reasons that David just gave, I actually really like... DJ because I prefer all of the more complex Star Wars stories. Um, obviously, I'm doing the Story Geeks podcast, so I'm digging way too deep into this stuff as it is. Um, so I, I like complexity. Um, it's never too deep. <laughs> it's never too deep. Uh, but I think 
I don't know. I think his character is a bit wasted. I, so, like, like to the to the counterpoint that David's presenting, um, I think that I think that the Canto bite storyline could have worked for me if it wasn't so complex and so intricately tied to what's going on with Poe as well. Um, like, like the fact that they said like, Hey, it's on board that, uh, the lead star destroyer. I'm like, Oh, cool. And then they go, but we have to go to Canto bite. <laughs> right. I'm like, why? Like, why don't we just go to the star destroyer? Like that's what we used to, you know, anyways, so I won't go off on a big diatribe there, but I think <laughs> that, um, I find Benicio Del Toro as an actor to be very compelling. I know he probably, you're probably going to go like, dude, I find him super annoying, but I find him compelling. <laughs> Don't put words in my mouth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, but I just feel like his character does offer some different insights into what a more gray universe is that's very helpful and adds complexity, but it's almost like it's like thrown in again, like like I feel like a lot of Finn's storyline is. It feels like it's shoved in as a way to spend more time there as opposed to something that um, really mattered more to all of the... I, I do agree with David that it does change the characters in some way, Poe, in, in my opinion, most, most notably, but I don't know, not my favorite. Okay, so here's my take. Um, I like Benicio del Toro mm-hmm. as an actor, but you hate him. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Now I'm living in your world. <laughs> yeah, no, I have, to, I have to turn. I have to turn it around on somebody. <laughs> I give him a nine point five out of ten, so that means I hate him. Yeah. So um, that's right. That's right. Uh, but no, he, he is distracting to me in this movie. That's mm. just a casting choice. Yeah. Um, but I will say, I like the look at the gray area. Mm-hmm. Um. Not necessarily because I need gray in my good versus bad. Like, I can kind of infer that. I know that's there. Yeah. But I like it because in so many of these Star Wars films, all we ever see is the battle, right? It's the good versus the bad. And we don't get to see a whole lot of the rest of the world that exists amongst this battle. So I feel like DJ gives us a little glimpse of that, which is cool. Mm Mm-hmm. And I do, David, I do agree with you on the necessity of the journey that Cantobite brings about, especially in Finn and in Rose also. Yeah. I think what takes me out of it mm-hmm. is it just feels like the prequels to me. Like, oh. I don't know if it's the visuals or if it's the heavy use of the CGI creatures or mm. just that it's uh, it's sort of the most obvious version of world building Mm. in the last jedi if that makes any sense sure um and to me the what was great about the prequels to me was the world building like there was so many new lands and species and things like that that george came up with while he was ignoring storytelling (laughs) and um (laughs) brutal (laughs) oh i apologize to any gungans (laughs) out there listening (laughs) um so I don't know. I think that's why it, it just took me out of it. It made me feel like I was in a different trilogy. Mm. But the journey of it, I agree with. Like we do need to get Finn somewhere, mm. and mm. Rose is a good face of the resistance. So, oh, that's a good statement. Rose is a great face of the resistance. Yes, I like that. Cool. If she shows up in the movie at all, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Okay. Let's go back to. Is it Octu or Octo? How do you pronounce it? Yes. 
Yes. Okay. <laughs> Let's go back to. Um, oh, I would have been. Why does everybody want to go back to Octu? I would have been awesome if I would have remembered the name of the port. <laughs> What's the name of the port? Turbis. 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 Let's go yeah. back to Turbis's home. <laughs> yeah. And, um, Let's talk about that scene between Luke and Yoda. We talked about it a little bit earlier. Um, why do you think Loda, yeah, Loda? Why do you think Yoda let the tree burn? And what is he trying to prove in that moment? Good question. Go for it. <laughs> Me? You're, you're, oh. you're ready to go. All right, all right. Good question. You wrote the question. <laughs> I did? <laughs> yes. It's a great question. <laughs> if I don't say so myself. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Wow. I don't know who wrote this question, but it is awesome. Um, so I believe that uh, Yoda in Empire realizes at the at, – and actually um, I love Yoda's journey because I love uh, David's earlier call out about – um, Yoda's final speech in the novelization of the Revenge of the, the Sith. Um, I think that at the end of Empire, Yoda realized that he was still living in, in fear. So prequels, Jedi Orders living in fear of losing their political power. After Order 66, they all retreat. And, and, and sort of all the Jedis in the, in the known universe are living in fear because they're not going around telling people that they're out there. Like There's two of the lead... Jedi council members, well, I guess Kenobi wasn't necessarily a council member, but two of the lead like Jedi that we see in the films are literally hermits. Like they're living in fear because they don't want themselves to be out there because they're afraid of dying. Um, and so I think that Yoda sees himself in Luke as Luke is a, as a hermit. So what does Luke need to hear? He needs to hear that it's not about him. It's about the will of the force. He needs to hear that he will inherently fail because he's human, but the force doesn't fail. Um, and I think that, uh, Yoda saw at the end of Yoda's life, he saw where the force was going because he saw Luke not afraid to go face Vader and also not intending to just outright kill Vader. And so I think that Yoda has a chance to sort of redeem his own, uh, being a hermit by giving this personal message um, to Luke at this time, but I do have to say, and this goes into me thinking way too deeply about this again. Um, it also <laughs> happens to go into my spiritual perspective. So like David, I, uh, I would call myself a Christ follower. I am very, I'm, I'm I tend to be skeptical of institutions regardless, but, mm -hmm. um, that's because I'm a millennial and that's what we, <laughs> that's what we do. <laughs> that's what we're good at. Um, so all I would, about you, bro. It's all your fault. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, but I would say that. Um, so if you're if you're directing Yoda's message at a person experiencing shame and guilt, that message works. However, I don't necessarily agree with the full delivery of that message because he goes on to say, like, what, what does he say? Like, uh, but page turners, they were not about the books. Right, sacred text. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like in my personal worldview, if we were to say, uh, regardless of whatever religious text you pick to say this contains wisdom, if we were to say, yeah, no, let's not listen to any of the things that people have done ever before, and let's just go ahead and figure out how we do things now, I don't like that message because I feel like I go, well, then where would you get wisdom? Yoda says that that the what's going to carry out in Ray's life is going like she, he basically says like she's got everything she needs. And I'm like, well, yeah, but then where did she get it? 
Like, was she just naturally born with wisdom? And don't get me wrong, I think some people are naturally more wise than other people, but a lot of us need to have experience, we need to have training, we need to have um, focusing on the right, we need to focus on the right perspectives in life. And I'm going, well, where is Ray gonna get all that, right? Like, I mean, she, yeah, she can maybe still have some influence from Luke, but I, I do take issue with the theory that, <laughs> hey, let's throw out everything that's come in the past Again, I'm skeptical of institutionalized things, but I, I would also simultaneously say we have to figure out where to get wisdom from somewhere, and I don't think it's going to be us just just all of a sudden thinking to ourselves, oh, I know what's wise because I know, <laughs> right? It's like that sounds ridiculous to me. Yeah. So I kind of love what he tells Luke, and I kind of have major issues with it both and. <laughs> okay. What do you think, David? Yeah, no, I, I would say on, on, on a personal level, I think that – there's, there's a very specific, very directed um, st- set of statements to Luke Skywalker, um, which is a continuation of the very conversation that they had on Dagobah in Empire Strike Back, Strikes Back, you know, the do or do not stuff. But then on the other side of that, uh, you, you, you can't go into it, you know, trying to fail. You just got to you got to go in and do it. But the reality is you're going to fail. And so that's what we see in this. So I think that there's that element. As far as the tree goes and the sacred texts and and all of that, I do think um, that that's a direct um, um, kind of a, a jab at sort of institutionalized religion. Um, and I think that that's wh- – what's interesting is Ray still does have the sacred texts. We know this, right? Right. And so, you know, I – I see, you know, when I, if we're going to get like really, really like out there, I would see like the burning down of the tree as being sort of, you know, the institutionalism, uh, Jedi order um, as a religious entity, which it is, it's a religious, it's a, it's the religion of the Star Wars universe mm. um, with that. So tear down the institution, but don't tear down what the institution stood for. And so you, you burn down the tree, but then Ray's over there and she's got the, the sacred Jedi texts and that's what she needs um, in order to go forward. She just needs, and, and then she's going to, we know she's going to be communing with all of the force ghosts, a thousand generations living you now mm-hmm. and, and all of that. You know, it, it reminds me, I've, I've worked with, you know, right in the middle of sort of the insanity of American evangelicalism on the big Western, you know, Christian stage as far as putting together, working for some pretty big organizations. Um, and I've seen how they've got all these rules. You have to have this much seminary training, then you've got to go through these different <laughs> programs and you've got to have this church has to look like this and you've got to have this coffee bar and you've got to have the pastor's got to use this kind of stool up on the stage. And there's, I mean, there's all <laughs> these rules as to how to make it work. And it doesn't. Mm. Mm. But then you go to Kenya or you go to the Democratic Republic of Congo where they don't even have a building. Mm. Um, and they've just got, you know, in in a Christian context, they've got scripture. Mm. They've got the Bible. Mm. And they sit around underneath a tree um, and, they, and, and somebody that has no training is actually having more of an effect in some cases on actually seeing lives transformed versus – you know, we're building churches. And so I would say that, that that to me is sort of what what all of that, the Jedi should end and the tree and Yoda and all that stuff, um, that tends to, 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 to represent for me at least. David and I just being best friends. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think what – I feel like what Luke is – what Luke, what Yoda is doing here mm. is – 
really just helping Luke to accept his role in guiding Ray. Mm. So Luke is all hung up on what came before, like mm. you know, to think that without the the Jedi there is no Force is folly. Mm. He's like, there's failure, there's hubris, mm. like this institution failed and now it has to end. Mm. Um, I think Yoda. And he, and, Lu- and Luke won't help Ray for that reason. Like he can't. He, like he doesn't want to continue what has been. He thinks it's wrong. And so by Yoda burning the tree and talking down the text and stuff like that, I feel like he's just trying to free Luke up to set him on the path to where he truly can guide Ray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be like, if all of that stuff is hanging you up, then get rid of it. <laughs> you <laughs> right, know, right, right. like you don't have to figure this out. She will figure it out, but you have to help her get there. Uh. You know what I mean? That's kind of how I see it. Yeah. I like um, that. I like that and I like that in relation to the analogy of the evangelical church and stuff, too, because nobody's setting out to fail, right? Like, people are trying to do what's effective. Right. And they're trying to build something real and something that pursues the truth. Mm. But, you know, Absolutely. over time, stuff gets in the way, right? Like, <laughs> right. personalities get in the way, opinions get in the way, success gets in the way, fame gets in the way, whatever it may be. Right. Um, so I don't think that pursuing something like that is bad, but freeing yourself up to go back to the truth that yes. you're seeking in the first place yes. is a beautiful thing. Nice. Good close to that discussion. I like it. All right. That's a, well, that's a nice transition into my usual crazy question that I like <laughs> to throw into these things. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, yeah. So I do. David, we had a we had a <laughs> how long of a conversation was it about Han's throwaway line of "You'll see me and then you'll see me in hell." Oh yeah, yeah I'll see you in hell. That? We talked about that for like an hour. <laughs> 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 that's right, that's Does right. hell exist? <laughs> exactly in the Star Wars universe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this and how does he know it? Yeah, exactly. Does he know that it's based on a valley outside of Jerusalem called Gehenna in Hebrew? And no, okay, yeah, no, yeah. Let's, let's get weird. So. This one's not quite that granular, yeah, but yeah. Uh, okay. Um, so there are several key deaths in this film. We talked about Snoke. Um, there's Phasma. There's Holdo. There's lots of these key deaths that come along. Some of them are very unexpected. So I'm just curious what this story would look like if some of those didn't happen. So what I want to do here is each of us choose one single death to reverse in this story and say what you think the impact of that character surviving on would have been. This is an so, interesting one. Yeah. yeah Do you want to go first, David? Sure, why not? Go I'll for throw it. uh I mean obviously you're gonna you're gonna hear lots of people say things like Akbar or um you know, uh of course Luke uh, right. is a is a big one on that. But I, I think one that actually a death that happens at the very beginning of the movie that oh, no, he's gonna sets take my trajectory. <laughs> oh no. Uh, that's what you get for letting me go first. Uh, is Paige? Ah! Yeah, I think if, yeah, I think if she doesn't die, then then y- we don't get the whole Canto bite thing. So uh, mm-hmm. I think that the whole thing changes dramatically with it. Um, you know, BB Nate, my he was he's my youngest. Uh, uh, he's he was twelve when this came out. He was really big on reading the Cobalt Squadron and all that stuff before it came out, and he was fascinated by Paige and Rose. Uh, before the movie even started, and so the the death of Paige at the very beginning really impacted him in a big way. I think that it changes the story pretty dramatically. Mm. I'll go ahead and jump in too because mine is the same one. I was also going to say nice. Paige, yeah, because I mean I know I've said before that Kylo Ren is my favorite Star Wars character of 
overall. Um, next to him mm-hmm. in this movie might actually be Paige. Like the one really? little bit that we get of her in this movie. Yeah. I love that scene so much and the heroism that we see in her. Yeah. And um, just what she probably, she says one word, right? Like she says the name of the guy that she's trying to talk to. I don't even remember. Otherwise, she doesn't speak at all. It's all in her eyes, and it's all in the, the emotional performance. Yeah. And you just get this sense that she's being a hero. You can tell there's something big that she's letting go of in order to do that. Mm. Um, and I think having that be the inspiration for where Rose goes, I know it's kind of important that Paige dies and that drives Rose on. I get right, that. But right. I just would have loved to see the two of them interact and mm. see what that relationship looked like. Yeah. And see what Paige's effect could have been on people like Poe, yeah, and his need to grow up a little bit, you know. I just I would have loved to see her impact. Ah, I like that. You know, I I have a fan theory that she's force sensitive. I know that it's be- it's that it's not bad editing, but it's that it's really interesting editing. But it looks for sure like that remote falls past her, yeah, and there's, there's no way she would turn in time to grab it. And the angle of her arm, the way she grabs yeah. it, is also weird compared to the next but shot. But not if she knows the force, right? <laughs> she can and is a contortionist. Right yeah, well, I'm just saying. Um, anyways. Uh, the way we come up with stuff, though, yeah. right? <laughs> I, I mean, honestly, guys, she's not Force-sensitive. <laughs> Ryan Johnson didn't put that in there, but but we have to create these things in order to justify some some really cool cinematography. That's, <laughs> That's about right. It. That's so. right. Exactly right. Uh, so I think mine's going to be really surprising to people out there um, because while I love Luke, I'm good with his story. I'm good with where it ends. I'm yeah. happy about that. Me too. Uh, I think if Palpatine is done right, it's way better than Snoke. So I'm cool that Snoke dies if if we get a good Palpatine, right? Um, or there's other options that could be good too. I think we'd all probably say that we have no for sure knowledge that Captain Phasma's dead again. <laughs> like we don't. <laughs> she could easily show up again. Um, so my pick is actually Vice Admiral Holdo. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, I think that. There is a lot there for her to impact how – I mean, obviously, when they're creating this film, they did not know that Carrie Fisher was going to leave us. Now, right? just real quick to, yeah. to clarify, does she still do the hyper jump thing, or does Akbar do that <laughs> She's instead? a force ghost. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, let's just say Akbar does it instead. Okay, right? all right. So she, so she stays around. I just think that she's a very commanding presence. I think she seems really tough and strong, and I feel like the resistance needs some of that. Obviously, like I was saying, we didn't know Leia wasn't going to be as big of a uh, uh, have a big of a role in yeah. in the, um, the Rise of Skywalker. But in the absence of Leia in the Rise of Skywalker, to the extent that she's probably not going to be in it, we could have seen Holdo take over and impart a lot of Leia's wisdom to the next yeah, generation yeah. of people. And and I think just I mean Laura Dern is just an awesome actress too. So I would have loved to see more of what she could have done with that particular role. I love her back and forth with Poe as well. Mm-hmm. So for me, I, I probably surprise everyone out there by saying, yeah, I want to see Holdo stay around. <laughs> I know my wife would have liked to see more of her purple hair. Yeah. <laughs> she loved the purple hair. <laughs> um, okay. I'm going to throw one more question out and then we're going to hit some quotes after that. Um, so Luke essentially sacrifices his life when he faces off with Kylo at the end of the film. And this allows the Resistance to escape from the First Order and live to fight another day. But I'm curious about sort of the implications of the larger spiritual victory here um, against Kylo and against the dark side itself. 
Obviously, some of that stuff we have yet to come to understand in The Rise of Skywalker. But I'm curious what you guys think are some of those larger unseen victories there. Mm. Good question. Do you have a I, good answer? I'm not sure. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think I have a good answer because I we we don't necessarily. This is going to sound really harsh. <laughs> this is off the cuff. Um, I don't think we see like. Ben, old Ben Kenobi tells Vader, like, strike me down and I will become more powerful than you could possibly imagine. Yeah. And then he sits on a log and says a few things to Luke. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know what he does. Like, I don't understand what He just impact. glows every now and then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's like, whatever you do, don't go fight Vader. You know, like, oh, what am I going to do? Go fight Vader. Uh, so right. I'm not... I'm not sure. I don't. He I don't didn't even know. know about Leia. I mean, come on. <laughs> I know. Come on, old Ben. Yeah. Uh, get it together. But no, I think uh, so. I'm. I'm not sure. I think that Luke will have uh, a really important presence in the next film, um, and I do think that there is a spiritual overtone. I think that. Okay, so I'll say this. I think that Luke giving up his own life is the epitome of what the light side is looking for. He's saying, "I trust the Force." And so I'm going to do what I need to do to save people and, and combat evil, even at the expense of my own life. It is, it is the ultimate heroic sacrifice. Um, and I think that that has a spiritual impact. I'm just not sure what that spiritual impact is or how it will play out in the next film. Yeah. And I'm not even sure how to wrap my head around it at this point. Yeah. What do you think, David? I think that, you know, we, we, we learned in the original trilogy that a Jedi never uses the force for attack or for offense. Um, they use it for defense. Mm. And um, this is like what we're, as we're introduced to the idea of the Jedi and the force, this is how it's defined. And the most pacifist Jedi level moment in the entire series of movies is when Luke Skywalker defeats the first order without even attempting a single blow. Right. Mm. Um, with it. And so I think that, you know, when we see Luke and, and everything that's going on uh, in this, it's the victory is a victory in of peace um, in this thing, in this moment, uh, which allows, honestly, the First Order and Kylo Ren defeat themselves um, in this moment. And so that's a very, mm. very Jedi Sith thing. It's the anger, it's the fear, it's the hatred. Um, it's self-destructive, um, in this moment. And all that Luke really needed to do to win this battle and to save his friends was to not fight, mm. um, and to be willing to sacrifice. Uh, it's a very, you know, it's, it, it's, Come on, it's a there's a very Christian storyline with that too. You know, the victory of uh, of Christianity is found on Christ laying his life down, um, and when he could when he didn't have to. And so there's I I mean this is one of the reasons I love this movie is I see some of the so many of these parallels in it. Yeah, yeah, and I think you're exactly right. I think this is going to be sort of the tipping point. I mean, it's the end of the film that leads into the third film, so obviously it's a tipping point. But I think this is going to be the tipping point within Kylo, whichever way that goes. So if Kylo gets redeemed, I think it's gonna, you can, you'll be able to trace it back to him seeing Luke behave this way mm. and being victorious. Mm. And if Kylo doesn't get redeemed and he's just full-blown evil until they kill his ass, mm. then, <laughs> <laughs> then um, I think this is what set that off too because uh. it created this sense of 
the futility and Kylo's off his rocker. He doesn't do good with futility. He mm. doesn't do good with feeling inadequate. Mm-hmm. You know, he's emo. So <laughs> <laughs> he, he can't handle that. It pisses emo him off. Ren. So I think this is going to be... What, Go ahead. What he, what what this does though is if you if you let this part of the conversation and these events inform the next scene when Kylo Ren is entering into that base on crate and he's trying to figure out what the heck just happened and he's picking up the dice and and all of this. I I think this is the moment where you see him the actually the most vulnerable so far in the first two movies. Yeah. He's mm-hmm. he's trying to understand how he just lost to to what he hated so much. The dark side doesn't work is what I think he's thinking. I think this is the beginning. I'm a, I'm a bendemptionist. Um, I think this is the beginning <laughs> like of, of, um, of, of the process that he's going to be going through. And I think he's fighting it uh, in the beginning of this movie, but I think he'll be redeemed by the end. Mm. There you go. That's good stuff. Okay, let's finish off the show by just hitting some of the best quotes or at least what what apparently I thought were some of the best quotes from this movie, <laughs> but uh, there are lots of great ones, obviously. So we'll just kind of hit each one of these and just tell me what you guys think of it, what you think the implications are to the story of this quote, what hits you when you hear it. Um, the first one is from Snoke, and it's when he says to, speaking of Christian imagery, it's when he says to right. Ben, well done, my good and faithful apprentice. Mm. I think it's mocking. I think that it, as we're going to see in the rise of Kylo Ren's uh, comic books, um, we've seen a little bit in some of the other comics, uh, the, the Age of, of Resistance and the Snoke uh, um, uh, issues of that. Um, I think that we're going to find that this is all manipulation, uh, that Snoke is is playing Kylo Ren. Um, my gut is that it's not Snoke playing Kylo Ren. I think it's the Palpatine playing Kylo Ren through Snoke. Um, in some way. Um, and I think that uh, he, it's just, you know, he says, well done, my, my good and faithful apprentice. And the next thing you know, he tells him to take the mask off and he's a loser. So um, <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's classic sort of very heavy handed manipulation uh, emotionally and mentally. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I, I, I threw, uh, I think this is one of the quotes that I threw at you. Yeah, you after did. The end yeah. Of it. I, and I threw it at you because it is, by the way, this is becoming like the, one of the most um, Christian shows we have, but um, which is not bad. Sorry about that, guys. No, 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 uh, no, no, no. <laughs> like, we, we, literally, we literally dig so deep into we're, these things. We're all that, in the same boat here. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's, like, right. it's like one of those things where you're digging into something and you're like, well, I, I have to, if I'm going to dig deep into something, it's going to have to be about how I understand and interpret the world around me. Yeah, and yeah, absolutely. This is a reflection of that. Um, I found it really interesting because it is such a weird way of using this particular quote. I like David's interpretation that it's just open mockery um, because like contextually to where it occurs in the Bible, which is interesting because it, it literally comes from ancient texts. <laughs> which, which yeah. uh, you know. Page turners. Yeah, <laughs> page turners. <laughs> exactly. Um, and in those ancient texts, the way it's contextually used is that uh, these this um, uh, this overseer is asking people to go do things on his behalf. So he's giving people things like tasks to do, and they're returning to him and they're presenting what they did 
with what he gave them. And for those who return and did good things, right, for the person who went in and invested the money and made a bunch of money back, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And then says, you've been faithful in a little, I can now put you in charge of more, right? And I think um, in this context, the mockery makes sense because what Snoke is doing is kind of like, it's kind of like saying, uh, oh, am I going to put you in charge of anything more, Kylo? Nope, I'm going to kill Rey and I'm still going to be your master, right? Like, and it's just, and I think that open mockery is actually a good take on that one. So interesting. Yeah, I like the mockery angle of it too, especially when you put it in context of what Snoke said about uh, Hux. The whole mm. cur thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, he probably thinks that Kylo is a cur too. I mean, let's Ooh, be honest. You take. know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, just yeah. a different kind of manipulation. Kylo's more powerful, so you have to manipulate that differently. Mm. Um, I do think part of what adds to the idea of it being mockery is just the fact that you know the the original the original biblical phrase, like yeah. you said, is "good and faithful servant." Right. Whereas here, it's apprentice. Yes. And there's some similarities there from sure. from a certain point of view, but um, <laughs> well done. But uh, it's not the same thing, mm. you know. Apprentice has a different connotation than servant does. Servant is much more. You're totally given over to giving yourself to others, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas apprentice is you're learning something yeah. to get better at something. Yeah. So and to take the place of right. And that's part that's inherent in the rule of two is this eventually you crave the power and you will try and take it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's go over to Rose. Uh, classic quote. This is how the resistance wins, not fighting what we hate, saving what we love. What do you think, David? Yeah, I mean I I think that that's that's the thesis statement for uh the se- the sequel trilogy. I think that's that's why we're going to see her become a leader in the resistance uh, in this next movie. I think that the idea of they've gotten it all wrong up to this point, even what we were talking about with the Canto Bite sequence and her learning that it's not black and white. She's realized through this process that um, that the, the, the way they've been going about things has been wrong. You cannot defeat evil in this way. Um, you can't defeat evil by conquering it. You have to defeat evil um, by embracing the the good. And so that's what she's talking about. I think it's um, it's more than just something really positive to say on Twitter when you when you <laughs> run against toxic fans. So. It is kind of a salvo against the <laughs> toxic fandom, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it sure is. Rightfully so. <laughs> yeah, totally. Absolutely. Totally. Especially coming from Rose is kind of perfect. Um. Yeah, I think that's all. That's all. That's really good. I think. Uh, I mean, this is super Star Warsy, right? This is the kind of the quote to to ta- to wrap up in a bow what they've tried to been telling you the whole time in in showcasing the actions. And now we're just going to tell you this. By the way, this is the way it works, um, and this is how Ray's journey will complete. Right? Like, if she goes to hate, she's going to go dark side, and that will be a totally different route. But if she fights to save the things that she loves you fights to save kylo ren so that he will be redeemed that's a different ray that's a different ending that's a different redemptive arc that will occur with these characters so i do think that it's um you gotta be really careful with how you use these lines in writing because they can sure come off really really cheesy um (laughs) right i think that they actually handled it really well in this case 
Um, but I can see if someone came to me and said, oh, that's just so cheesy, though. I would be like, oh, yeah, yeah, but I mean, it's Star Wars. They're going to give you the line. You know what I mean? Like, just like the crawl is giving you, he's evil. Like, they're also going to give you the line as to, and I think that one of the things that's interesting about the quotes that you pulled out is that there's, there's these little bits of wisdom in them. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, that wisdom is cool from a storytelling perspective to continue passing that wisdom to the next generation through storytelling. Yeah. And this is a cool way of doing it. This next one's my favorite. Ah. Um, Ray says to Luke in the, I was going to say in the Jedi Temple, but that, it's not, that's not necessarily accurate, is it? Uh, it's no. just a cave where he's got some Jedi stuff. Yeah, I guess, but that's <laughs> kind of, well, yeah, it's kind of an original temple. Yeah. Anyway. No, I think they were in the, I think they were in the tree, weren't they? Yeah, they're in. Oh, no, no, no. They're up there. They're up on the top. Yeah. You're right. They're in the, the temple thing. Of just, yeah. Anyhow, she says to him when he asks her why she's there. She says, something inside me has always been there, but now it's awake, and I'm afraid. Mm. Why don't you start on this one? You, you, <laughs> I knew that like, was coming. My favorite I quote. knew that was yeah, coming. You go for it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I just, I love the fact that that line is, is, it's obviously, it's dark, it's foreboding, mm-hmm. but it's also hopeful to me in mm. a way. You know, because there's a recognition that she doesn't understand what's happening to her. Mm. And um, that's oddly hopeful to me. (laughs) I don't know why. (laughs) Like, because it doesn't have to be this terrible foreboding thing, you Mm. know? It doesn't mean that someday she's going to have a hood and two red lightsabers in her hands (laughs) or anything like that. (laughs) Right, right. But um, it could be something really beautiful yeah and probably will be i mean come on you know right it's ray but i just i love the tension that's in that line something inside me has always starting it that way Mm. something inside me has always been there like that alone is a big clarification to what she now understands about herself right you know what i mean right but now it's awake and i'm afraid so i just think there's a lot of weight to it yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think that Ray is – it's more than just the the force within her that she's not – that has awakened, that she's trying to figure out how to uh, – does she control it? Does it control her? Very classic Star Wars type uh, stuff there. I think it's – she. everything in her, her world is turned upside down at the same time. She's left Jakku, um, which she – never wanted to leave she's expecting people to come back and now we're just literally days if you think about it from all of that taking place and her entire universe is has changed um and she's trying to figure out how to deal with all of that that's there i would be feeling a lot of fear um inside of me at that point um and and i think that's what she's she's struggling with in that moment is the fear of who am i who you know all the where do why do I belong in this? It's very much what Chris Terrio um, has gone on record to say that it was the, one of the big questions that they want to answer in the Rise of Skywalker mm. is really who is Ray? Yeah. I think that, this, that 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 all of that is is feeding that line. Mm. Yeah, it's it's very uh, hero's journey esque, right? Like she's been called to leave that life behind, that Jakku life behind, that hope that her parents will return, and yet she keeps she keeps kind of resisting that and kind of being like, I want to know who my parents are. I want to know what my past is. Um, and it's not that that wouldn't be impactful to her, 
but so much of what has awakened will not rely upon that for her for her to become fully who she's meant to be um which is i think why you're saying it's so hopeful because if she were to if you were to finish this with uh something inside me has always been there but now it's awake and I'm afraid, and we must crush it. Yeah, it'd be like, well, okay, well, <laughs> this is this is not what we want. Yeah. Um. So I think I think it's kind of cool the way that they're they're using it there. Okay, just a couple more. Um. Kylo says to Ray, "Let the past die. Kill it if you have to. That's the only way to become what you were meant to be." Mm. Well, that's just Kylo Ren, um, trying to justify the the horrific choices that he's made <laughs> yes. um, up to this point. Uh, he's, you know, he's killed his father. He's almost kill, he killed his mother. He's, uh, he's genocidal maniac. He's dark side, all that stuff. And he knows better. And so he needs Ray to join him to help him justify the choices that he's made. I'm not as bad as, as everybody thinks if she comes with me. Um, on this, um, and at the same time, he wants the past to die because he doesn't want to deal with the the, the ramifications or the guilt of of who he has become, um, which isn't what he was who he was destined to be. So mm, good, yeah. I mean, I agree with all of that. I think that again, there's there is I think there is a little bit of wisdom that's actually tied into this quote as well. Um, obviously, if you just have quotes that are like just really trite quotes that don't contain any semblance of something that we could see truth about in the real world, then we instantly reject them outright, right? But this one actually has uh, some truth to it. I mean, it's, it's not unlike what Yoda is saying to Luke, but what Yoda is saying to Luke is, remember your origin so that you can get past this failure. Whereas what Kylo is saying is like, forget the origin, like don't even know where things came from. We just should move on and put everything. And it's sort of like, okay, there's some truth to putting aside some of the things that have held us back. But if we were to ignore those things, we would never grow and we probably would repeat our mistakes later on. Yeah. And so it's, it's a really interesting quote coming from Kylo and with Kylo's experiences. Um, but obviously wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, the fact that it's such a limited skewed broken view of the truth yeah just reflects what i love about kylo Mm. like he's just he's complex and they've given him like emotional scars that he wants to be this foreboding force but he's just a little twerp in a lot of ways (laughs) (laughs) and a lot of times you're like dude just grow up like get over yourself you know and it's just it's a great line to reinforce that which i love Come see, come see my Vader shrine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's super cool. It. All right, last one. And this is the one that we get in this movie and in the trailer for The Rise of Skywalker. It's Luke saying, no one's ever really gone. Mm. Wow. Um, well, I mean, the, the initial, when you're watching The Last Jedi, the first, you know, couple of times, it's it feels like it's directly relating to Han. Um, and that's the way I think that we were intended to to take it. But I think there could be some some underlying um, things going on with that related to uh, Ben Solo. Um, I think we're going to see that in the next movie. Um, I think he knows what's going to happen uh, to him uh, with him in this. I think that he's anticipating that he may not survive this um, 
force experiment, um, uh, this projection that that we've never seen before. Uh, perhaps he's read about it in those sacred boring texts and realizes that no one survives this, but but that's what he's doing. All of that. So he, he's maybe saying goodbye uh, to her in that moment um, in his own special way. Uh, it's a really, it's a really special moment. And then of course, for all of us, um, that saw the movie, uh, it, it has a real world implication because of, of Carrie Fisher. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I think it's a, it's a, a really, uh, emotional, uh, moment that, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty powerful. Yeah. I think it's also Disney trying to tell us that like, don't worry, you can pay us for more <laughs> Luke Skywalker stories in the extended universe. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, no, I think that, that uh, everything that David said is 100% true. And it's it's this idea. It's so synonymous with the sequel trilogy to me because they – I think that what makes the sequel trilogy special, and it's one of the reasons why I love Force Awakens so much. I Every time I watch The Force Awakens and they give me one of the nostalgic moments – I just feel good all over, right? Like you see the Millennium Falcon, and you're like, this is just so amazing. Like they're just giving me what my childhood was. And obviously there was prequels in between. And I think that one of their main goals was to say, we're, the prequels are still part of this. In fact, we're going to you know do another Clone Wars season. We love the prequels, but we also realize that you haven't gotten a lot of original trilogy-like content, and we want to remind you of some of the things that made you fall in love with Star Wars, and that's just an indication of like, yeah, those, those movies are never really going to be gone. We can go back to those movies again and again and again. Um, these are all part of the – we're all connected in a way anyways, um, and it's just qu- kind of cool. Yeah. It's beautiful, and I love the way that Abrams turns it around and makes it menacing in the trailer for Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I think that's really cool. Um, for me, my favorite, my favorite piece from that particular line is actually external to the movie. Like David, you talked about Carrie Fisher. There's the the documentary yeah. that's included with the Last Jedi, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. there's the footage of them shooting that scene with Mark and Carrie, and watching that footage of them shooting that scene knowing that she's gone and seeing how they treat each other and seeing him like embrace her that way and say no one's ever really gone yeah you can't watch that and not cry like even you forgot to watch it even you you, who's a robot (laughs) (laughs) yeah totally you told me to watch it too and i forgot i forgot to watch it so now i have to go watch it and cry but it's just yeah it's so moving Hmm. that's my last question is there anything about this movie that I did not set you guys up to say. You're just dying to say. <laughs> there's so much to be said about this I movie, know. though. So it's like, I'm sure there's more. <laughs> well, we just spent like 90 minutes or longer talking about a movie that came out two years ago, and we could probably spend another 90 minutes if we just decided. Absolutely. It's true. So true. Yeah. And I think that's a good point to end it on. So. Yeah, totally. David, thanks for joining us tonight, man. Thank you, guys. It was a real, real, a real pleasure. I enjoyed the conversation. For yeah, sure. really quick before you go, um, just give everybody a quick take on what Tatooine Sons is all about and where they can find you guys. Yeah, it's real simple. It's just a dad and his two uh, teenage sons geeking out about Star Wars. Um, always family friendly. Try to keep it positive, light side. Um, it's uh, it's literally we turn on the mic uh, and we start recording and we turn it off and we don't edit. So um, uh, you never know what you're going to get. And uh, <laughs> hopefully, uh, hopefully it'll be entertaining. I am always shocked by the um, 
insight that these two kids um, that must take after their mother have on <laughs> on the Star Wars universe. So uh, definitely check it out. I love the concept. I uh, I have two little boys who are by far not ready to do this yet, <laughs> but someday I would love to be doing something similar to that. So I think it's really cool. Something new we're doing on the Story Geeks podcast, recapping some of our biggest takeaways from our discussions. And today's discussion, The Last Jedi. Number one, we want surprises in our storytelling. We don't just want to see what we expected to see. Number two, seeing the pervasive way Hux and Kylo are manipulated really sets them up for a complete breakdown. Kylo lashed out at Snoke, and it'll be interesting to see if Hux lashes out at Kylo. Number three, there's still a lot of confusion around the concept of balance, but we think that the purpose of balance is for the will of the Force to occur, which means having the Sith be equally powerful as the Jedi probably isn't what George Lucas intended. Number four, so many stories throughout human history deal with the destructive nature of hubris because we are not meant to be gods. That's true. Number five, we do need to move past things in our life, things that are holding us back. But that doesn't mean completely destroying the past. We can learn from that past and use it to guide our future. Number six, no one's ever really gone. Is that going to be a good thing or a bad thing, uh, Palpatine, in the <laughs> rise of Skywalker? That's it for today's show. Special thanks again to David Jesse from the Tatooine Sons podcast for joining us. Coming up next week on the Story Geeks podcast, listen to the first episode of our The Mandalorian series. That show is on our sister channel, the Story Geeks Talk Disney Plus, but we'll give you a little taste of what that show's like here on the main channel. Don't miss that show or any of the upcoming shows in our Star Wars series. Subscribe today on your preferred podcast provider. As we mentioned earlier, if you're watching The Mandalorian on Disney+, Plus, be sure to check out our second podcast channel, The Story Geeks Talk Disney+. Plus. Like I mentioned, we're breaking down every episode of The Mandalorian right after they come out. And if you want to vote on upcoming show topics, get access to our discussion questions and prompts, or even join us live while we record the podcast, please consider becoming a member of The Story Geeks Club. For more information, visit thestorygeeks.com. On the Aftercast, which is now being released on the main channel, the day after the main show comes out, Daryl and I talk some more about The Last Jedi and discuss some ways we think the sequel trilogy could be better. Definitely go check that out. Thanks for listening, and as always, question everything in your favorite geek stories and always seek the truth. Special thanks to all the members of the Story Geeks Club. You can become part of the club for only $2 a month. $2 a month members are friendly neighborhood club members. Get access to my almost daily journals, short thoughts from yours truly. And if you upgrade to $3 a month, you can actually vote on upcoming show topics. At $5 a month, our Guardians of the Solar System tier, you get all our discussion questions and prompts before each show comes out. Our guardians of the solar system are Adam Vargas, Bob Sherfield, Justin Weaver, Mary Baldwin, Ray DeLeon, and Wade Johnson. 
At $8 a month, the tier we call our Cosmic Heroes, you get to choose an Aftercast topic for every series. Our Cosmic Heroes are Jim Baldwin, Monty Thigpen, and Nick Prokop. And finally, at $19 a month, you get a free t-shirt and you get to join us on an Aftercast every single month. Our one extra special mastermind of multiverse madness is Connie Moe. We appreciate all the members of the Story Geeks Club, even those we haven't mentioned by name. If you'd like to support the show by joining the Story Geeks Club, please head over to thestorygeeks.com.